God, we come to your word expectant, hoping that through this we will hear your voice. Not the voice of a man, but the voice really of our Savior. Speaking to us truth that we need. Help us to see all that rests upon this reality of the resurrection of the dead. We will stand before you one day, every man, woman, child, both the wicked and the righteous. All will stand before you in bodies that you have resurrected. May we tremble and fear and rejoice that this day is coming. We ask you to help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that most of you at some time or another, whether as a kid or maybe with your kids, you've, you've set up a domino chain. You know what a domino chain is or a domino line. It's when you line up all the dominoes in a row and then you knock the first one over and they fall over one by one by one. And if you've done that, you know, you've probably set up maybe 25 or 50 or so dominoes. Probably took you about 15 or 20 minutes to do it because you'd knocked them over a couple of times and had to start again. And then after you toppled that first one over... It was over in about 10 seconds. Well, if you, if you have any thoughts, by the way, of just you know, trying to break the world's record of the longest domino chain, you're going to have to put in just a bit more effort. In 2017, a YouTuber and his friends set up a line consisting of 15,324 dominoes of all different colors and shapes and patterns. And this broke the previous year's record of 12,610 dominoes. So their domino chain took two days to set up. It took over five minutes for them all to fall down. Now, there's a name for what you see happening in a domino line. It's called the domino effect. The domino effect is that chain reaction created when each domino that knocks over the next successive domino in the line and it goes all the way down to the end. Right? You knock over that first domino that starts the chain reaction, and, you know, if if you set it up right, every single domino will fall. Here in chapter 15, Paul is correcting a significant misunderstanding of some who are in the church. Some in the church were saying, there's no resurrection of the dead, despite believing in the preaching they had heard from Paul that Christ had been raised. Oh, we believe Christ is raised. We just don't think the dead are raised. Now, he's not countering opponents here. Instead, he is teaching those that don't understand the implications of what they're saying. They didn't realize that their denial of the dead being raised bodily would start a domino effect that would have devastating theological repercussions. So Paul shows them that if you deny the resurrection of the dead, well, just like a line of dominoes, everything based on that belief falls also. We're talking about the truth of the gospel, the basis of their faith, the trustworthiness of the apostles' teaching, the benefits of Christ's death, the fate of fellow believers who have died and even their hope in Christ. None of these can stand if the dead are not raised. And so this morning, we're looking at the theological repercussions of saying the dead are not raised. The title of the sermon this morning is If There Is No Resurrection of the Dead. 
So it's kind of a, we're putting it out there. What if there is no resurrection of the dead? We're following the same logic that Paul puts forth in the verses that we've read in verses 12 through 19. And so using Paul's logic, here's what you should do if there is no resurrection of the dead. You reject the gospel. You renounce your faith. Remove the foundation. Resign the benefits. Regret the dead. And resent your hope. Think of, think of just how devastating the impact would be on your walk with God if you did even just one of these things that I just said. Let alone all of them. Right? If you're a Christian, you understand, at least to some degree, the significance of Christ's resurrection. But were you aware that we must be equally diligent to teach and to defend and to proclaim the resurrection of the dead, both the righteous and the unrighteous? Everyone alive will rise again. They will rise again either to a resurrection of judgment or a resurrection of life. You know, think about all the different beliefs in the world about what happens after death. There's, there's many. Right? People who study science and medicine, they've, they've come up with very different conclusions about the afterlife. Some, some think that to believe in science, well, that means that the, the supernatural, including life after death, well, that's just not possible, right? If you believe in science, you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Physicist Stephen Hawking was an annihilationist. All life simply just, it stops. It's over when you die. He compared death to a computer that stops working when it breaks, right? It just stops. You just stop when you die. He thought of the afterlife as a fairy tale. Philosophy has lots to say about this subject. Ancient philosophers that we still talk about today, men like Socrates and Plato, well, they believe that when the body died, the soul lived on in some way. That immaterial part of you lives on. Religion, well, that certainly has a lot to say about how people answer the question of what happens when you die. There's many different religions and almost as many different beliefs about the afterlife. Though the specifics may differ, many religions have similar themes, such as reincarnation, heaven, hell, enlightenment, and absorption into some greater reality, right? Like when you die, you just are like a drop, a raindrop falling into the ocean and you're just absorbed into this vast ocean of of the cosmic mind, whatever that might be. With the exception of annihilationism, right? The idea that you just, you just cease to exist when you breathe your last breath and and your heart stops. With that exception, most of these theories are rooted in one common belief system called dualism. Dualism is the belief that the world is made up of of matter and spirit. The body is matter. The soul is spirit. Or you could say the body is material, the the, the soul is immaterial. So after the body dies, dualism says that after the body dies, the spirit spirit continues on. You can easily understand you know, how this belief developed just by observing what happens to material things in the world, what happens to everything that's material in the world. It gets old. It decays. So do our bodies, right? To the dualist, 
What is the body? It's, it's a tomb from which your soul, your spirit, needs to be freed. Seneca, he referenced, the divine will be severed from the human. He will leave his body and give himself back to the God. See, the Greeks could not conceive that the physical, which they would say is evil, right? Because we do all the evil things that we do with our physical bodies, pretty much, right? So that's the source of evil. They couldn't conceive that the, the source of evil, your physical part of you, could have a future existence. But that's exactly what Paul is seeking to correct. There is a bodily, physical resurrection. Life continues after the death of the body. The Bible teaches that the spirit and the body of every man will be separated from each other at death, but that is only temporary. A day is coming when all will be resurrected in imperishable bodies, some to a resurrection of life, but others to a resurrection of death. And this, I think, is why man scoffs at the idea of a bodily resurrection. Typically something that you don't like or you don't want, you make fun of. You deny. You keep it an arm distance away from you. It brings you face to face with the horrifying consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. Jesus, he told us Jesus did not to be astounded that an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Scripture also speaks of a place of judgment. It calls it the lake of fire. Read it about it in Revelation 20. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the final destination of all who reject Christ. It's, it's also referred to in Revelation as the second death. It's described as the place of eternal death where the wicked are suffering in their resurrected bodies that are imperishable. It's a place without hope of rescue or of end. And Jesus described it in Mark 9:48. He says it's a place where their worm does not die, fire is not quenched be honest, my mind cannot conceive of a place of eternal torment where there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is there such a place? The Bible says there is. There is no getting around that. You can dismiss it because you don't like the idea of it, but that doesn't change the reality that the Bible speaks can go on thinking that it doesn't exist if it, if it makes you feel better. But as for me, I think it's better to assume that, that my finite and sinful mind, it just simply fails to comprehend how incredibly serious sin is in the eyes of an infinitely holy God. So Paul is showing the Corinthians the centrality and the significance of the resurrection. Now we might think of the resurrection as an exclusively New Testament hope, but its roots they stretch all the way back into the Old Testament when Jesus spoke about the resur- being the resurrection 
excuse me, when Jesus spoke about the resurrection of life and of judgment, when he gave us that understanding, he was quoting from the book of Daniel. Isaiah prophesied of a physical resurrection. In Isaiah 26, he said, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You will lie in the dust. Awake and shout for joy, for the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. For the author of Psalm 71, resurrection was a comfort. He was reflecting on all these past calamities and anticipating future deliverance. And he says this in verse 20, You've shown me many troubles and distresses. Um and will revive me again, and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. And then in the New Testament, the resurrection is proved by what? By Christ's own resurrection from the dead. Why does the resurrection matter? What is it about the resurrection of the dead that's that's so important? Yes, there's a number of theological reasons that that hinge upon the resurrection, but but one reason I think towers above them all. The resurrection of the dead exalts Christ. Because there's a day coming when every single man or woman who has ever lived is going to be raised from the dead. Every single one of them are going to bow their knees. Their resurrected knees. They're going to to say with their resurrected tongues, Christ is Lord of all. See, through the resurrection, Christ is exalted above all as Lord of all. Death is mankind's greatest enemy. It conquers everyone. But Jesus conquered death. And so He rightly calls Himself the resurrection and the life. He's the source of both and He graciously offers both to all who would humbly come before Him and declare Him as Lord. Come to Him. Receive what only He can give to you. But what if there is no resurrection of the dead? What are the repercussions? Well, the whole notion, I think, has Paul a bit mystified especially given the fact that they believed his preaching about Christ being raised from the dead. And so he says in verse 12, Now if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, and then the idea is, and he has, because I preached that to you, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And then beginning in 13, Paul begins to show them what we should do if the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen, right? first domino gets tipped, let me tell you what's going to fall after that. The first domino to fall after the resurrection is the gospel itself. If you look back up in verses 3 through 5, Paul has just been preaching the gospel to them. And he says, or reminding the gospel that he preached to them. And he says, reject the gospel. That's the first domino. This is what you do if there is no resurrection of dead. You should reject this gospel Right? He's reminded them about what he preached to them in verses 3 through 5. And, it, and central to all that he reminds them of in verses 3 through 5 is that word appeared, appeared, appeared. So he's emphasizing the resurrection of Christ. It was central to what he preached. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the grave and he appeared to Peter, to the twelve, to over 500 disciples, to James, to the, apo- the other apostles, and then to Paul. 
And then in verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, he says, not even Christ. It would be a total contradiction to everything he preached to them. Christ has a physical body just like ours. It's impossible for the dead to be raised in general. If it's, if it's not possible for the dead to be raised in general, then how is it possible in the specific instance of Christ? Think of it this way. If it is generally true that pigs can't fly, then when you come to me and tell me, hey, I saw a pig flying, then what do I already know? I didn't see a pig flying because pigs can't fly. Everybody knows that. Right? If it's true in the general sense, it's, not, it's also, if it's not true in the general sense, it's not true in the specific instance. If we aren't going to be raised, you and I, everybody, then neither was Christ. It's that simple. It's that logical. The resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Christ, they cannot be separated. You get rid of one, you get rid of the other. Paul's preaching about Christ may have led the Corinthians to faith, but if the dead aren't raised, then he says his preaching was vain. It was worthless, he says in verse 14. It had no spiritual value whatsoever. Why? Because the event that is foundational to everything else could not have happened. It doesn't matter if he preached persuasively or if he preached simply. It doesn't matter because what he preached is bogus. It's worthless. Everything of value in the preaching of the gospel, it stands or falls on the basis of of God raising Christ from the dead, which never happened if the dead are not raised. But God did indeed raise Jesus from the grave. He appeared to countless people alive from the dead. Therefore, Paul would ha not have us reject the gospel. Don't reject the gospel, friends. Believe it. Proclaim it. Because Christ is alive from the dead. Because the dead are raised. So after the gospel, after that domino falls, the next domino is your faith. If there is no resurrection of the dead, you know what you should do with your faith? Renounce it. Renounce your faith. Because, Paul says, it's vain. It's based on preaching that was vain. Verse 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith is vain. Something um, is vain when there is no truth to it. Because it's vain because it's unfounded. It's baseless. And people say baseless things every day. They say things um, as if they are true, even when there is nothing that can substantiate it. Right? If you want an example of this, just go and ask somebody that you meet on the street. Ask them, what do you think happens after death? I remember asking this question to a family friend who was not a Christian. And her response began like this. Well, I think... And then she went on to describe what she basically wanted to be true. It was the typical response. God is loving. God is kind. God forgives those who've tried to be basically good and do right towards others and so forth. And, you know... That all sounds very appealing, at least on the surface. 
But it's not based on anything other than just her own speculations. I even asked her a follow-up. You know, when she explained all this, I said, well, wow, well, well, by what authority are you basing these claims? By what authority can you say that this is what is going to happen? And all she had in reply was just her hopes, her opinions. She was staking her eternity on rainbows and unicorns. The world is filled with people just like her, saying and believing things that are absolutely baseless. See, Paul preached Christ, his atonement, his eternality, his incarnation, and his resurrection. Saying there is no resurrection puts everything that Paul preached about Christ into question as well as all the other apostles, suggesting all of what was preached by them was baseless. At best, it's just unsubstantiated speculation. See, if the dead are not raised, well, Christ was not raised. If Christ was not raised, as Paul preached, then all of what he preached is discredited, baseless. Therefore, so too is the faith of anyone who bases it upon what Paul preached. It's nothing more than the rantings of a, of a delusional man to call into question what was at the heart of Paul's preaching discredits all of Paul's preaching. Resurrection is at the core of the gospel. It is foundational to the gospel. If there is no resurrection, then there is nothing good about the gospel. Why? Because it, it, it calls men to put their trust in something that is nothing more than an elaborate hoax. It has no power to change lives. It is vain. And the reason it is vain is because it is baseless. The only power such a gospel like that has is the power to deceive. You see, your faith is not worth it. Because the dead are raised. And we know this is true because God raised Jesus from the dead, just as Paul preached. And therefore, don't renounce your faith. No. Deepen your faith. Strengthen your trust in all that God has revealed to us through Paul, especially in the power of the gospel to save your soul and transform your life. So if the gospel is a fraud and faith is futile... Well, then, so is the very foundation upon which church is built. See, if that's the case, it, it needs to be removed. Right? If there is no resurrection of the dead, you should remove the foundation. So what do I mean by foundation here? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul calls the church God's household. He compares it to a house. And he says it has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, meaning the things they said and did and taught. So the apostles were the men that Christ personally commissioned to represent him to the world and to be his spokesman. They'd heard him teach when he was with them. They received his further teaching about through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it was their task to give the word of Christ to the world. And so in a very real sense, the apostles give Christ to the world. When they speak, they speak for Him with His delegated authority. 
you see this understanding reflected in what Paul says back in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 37 where he says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or is spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. This means that the apostles, what they teach, it's the teaching of Christ. It's the fullness of God's revelation in Christ. The teaching of the apostles was, in turn, it was entrusted to the church. Jude 3 says, it calls it the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And so the apostles, they not only played a foundational role in establishing the church, but their teaching also became the very foundation upon which the church would be established. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, Acts chapter 4, this is after the resurrection and the raising, the raising of Jesus from the dead and his ascension into heaven. We, we see the different scenes where the apostles are preaching. And in Acts chapter 4, it, it tells about the preaching of the apostles and how it's centered on the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 33 of chapter 4, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. And so, saying there is no resurrection of the dead, it discredits everything the apostles preached. And that's what Paul is getting at in verse 15. Look there in uh, chapter 15, verse 15. He says, Moreover, we are found, we, including himself and the other apostles, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. See, if the dead are not raised, Paul says, the apostles are not men of integrity or men of conviction. They're perjurers. They're men who conspired together to make false statements about God and then foisted this lie upon the people. More than that, they've implicated God because they announced that God raised Christ to, to vindicate the Lord's sinlessness and to demonstrate that He had accepted the Son's payment for sinners. But no, that's all a lie if the dead are not raised. That means the apostles are the very wolves that they warned us about. They're the false witnesses who speak in God's name what they know to be untrue. And if their preaching of the gospel is in question... Well, then the whole repository of their teaching, the entire New Testament, the very foundation of the New Testament church, well, that's also in question. If the dead are not raised, the very foundation of the church is in question. Nothing further should be built on it. No, in fact, it should be torn down. It should be removed. It's all based on a lie. But the apostles are not false witnesses. Because God does raise them. And we know this because Christ appeared to them as well as many others and He appeared to them as alive from the dead. They saw Him with their own eyes. And this foundation of the Scriptures, it cannot be removed. Why? Because Christ is the cornerstone. Everything lines up with Him. Christ continues today to build His church upon this foundation of the apostles and prophets. You and I, we can stand firmly upon this rock. We can know that, that none of the storms 
of life, not even the forces of spiritual darkness are going to prevail against the church built on the foundation of Christ. So if the dead are not raised, well, we must reject the gospel. We must renounce our faith. We, we are compelled to remove this foundation. And fourthly, we must resign the benefits. The next domino to fall are all the benefits that flow from the death of Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 16. If the dead are not raised, well, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. That's all the repetition. He's repeating himself. He's going back to the original issue again. He's tying the dead not being raised to Christ not being raised, and therefore their faith is futile, right? He says, your faith is worthless. And then he says this. He says, you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you're still dead in your sins. So he's repeating himself to show how unthinkable it is to suggest that Christ has not been raised from the dead. Think of all the benefits that flow out of the death of Christ. All of them are lost if Christ was not raised. Let's just quickly run through a few of them. First, he he says right out the gate, right? He says, no pardon for sin if if uh, if the dead are not raised and if Christ are not raised. There's no pardon for sin. He says, you are still in your sin. You're still damned in your sin and your unrighteousness. Well, if you're still in your sin, secondly, well, you have no inheritance from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, that would be you because you're still in your sin, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're still in your sins, thirdly, you have no escape from death. Death has not been swallowed up in victory, as Paul says at the end of our very chapter. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. The sting of death, it's, it's not been removed. You're still in line for that stinger of death to put its, its thorn right through you, and you will never escape from that. If you're still in your sins, you also have no redemption from your debt. You're, you're still due the wages that you earned in your sin, which is death, eternal death. Well, not only that, if Christ was not raised, it says you have no justification before God. The Bible makes it clear that he was raised for our justification. But if Christ is not raised, you remain guilty before God. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See, if Christ was not raised, you have no power to change. You're still living your old life, your old life as a sinner. There is no newness of life for you if Christ was not raised from the dead. And then lastly, Romans 8, verse 33 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You have no freedom from condemnation if Christ is not raised. You're still condemned because you're still in your sins. You know, 
we get we get receipts every time we go to the store, don't we? No, especially if you go through Costco, right? Got to have that receipt. What's the purpose of a receipt? A receipt gives you a bunch of information about your transaction, but the the real purpose, the main purpose of a receipt is to prove you purchased something. Right? When when speaking of Costco, when you leave there, you got to show that receipt. Now, there are several reasons. I've been told it's not just they're not just like making, oh, you got everything in there and you paid for that. You know, it's not just that. They're also checking to make sure you don't have double things and all kinds of stuff. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Don't come tell me why they checked your receipt and how they shouldn't do it. I don't want to hear that. The resurrection, what they're looking for is essentially, you have proof that you paid for everything you're walking out of our store with. It belongs to us unless you bought it. Have you proved you bought it? You do if you have a receipt. That's what the resurrection is. It's the receipt of God. Here's what Paul says. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Keep your finger here. Turn back to Romans chapter 4. Verse 25. Starting in verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that's his death, and was raised because of our justification. See, the gospel says that Christ was delivered over for my transgressions. How do I know this is true? How do I know that I, a sinner, don't need to fear God's judgment when I die? God has given me a receipt. He raised Christ from the dead to prove that the penalty for my sins, which He went on that cross for, is done. It's paid. It's over. I have the receipt. I've been pardoned. I have eternal life. I am redeemed. I am justified. I have power to change. I'm free from condemnation. I have an inheritance from God. These are all the glorious benefits that are not to be resigned. No, they're to be rejoiced over. And they are available to all who believe the message of the gospel and receive Christ as their Savior. You know these benefits. Are you confident that they are yours? You put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. If you put your hope in Him, well, He went to that cross for you, and you have the receipt that all this has been purchased for you by Him, and that receipt is the resurrection. A fifth domino to fall has to do with the fate of those who have died in Christ. If the dead are not raised, he says in verse four, uh, excuse me, 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ has not been raised from the dead... Well, then we can only regret the dead. We can only regret the dead because they remain in the clutches of death. Paul says those who put their hope in Christ have in fact perished because they are all still in their sins. The believer is no different than the unbeliever. There is no future of any kind for them. As the, as the NIV puts it, he says, they're lost. 
You're not going to be found. The Bible says all men fear death. And rightly so. It was my fear of death that prepared my heart to receive the one who could rescue me from death. I feared death. It's not, it's not just that the fear doesn't just come from the idea of, I just don't know what it's going to be like. No, the fear comes from the fact that death is a doorway that leads to oblivion and, and divine condemnation. If Christ is not raised from the dead, that's what we all face. Every one of us here. Whether you put your trust in Christ, it doesn't matter. Believer, unbeliever, they all perish the same. Their destiny is the same. You will remain in death. And this one was likely the shocker for the Corinthians. Remember, they they were steeped, as Greeks, they were steeped in dualism. They thought that that death freed the immaterial soul from the prison of the material body. So even though they denied that the dead were raised, it's not likely that they also thought that there was no future for people who have died. They probably thought that the believing dead have simply shed their bodies finally. They've entered into their, their final spiritual existence. No, Paul said. No. No. They have no future at all. They've perished. They're lost forever. If Christ did not rise then there is no provision for sins. And even believers, he says, who have fallen asleep, have died in their sins. Praise God. We don't regret those who have died in in Christ. We don't regret our, our, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our neighbors, our mothers, our fathers who have died believing and putting their hope in Jesus Christ. Why? We don't regret them. Instead, we greatly anticipate seeing them again. A joyful reunion in a glorious kingdom that will never end. Now there is one last domino to fall. And that is hope itself. Hope is the best of things. The hope of a glorious future that can sustain you through any and every trial that you might face in life. But if Christ is not raised from the dead, All such hope is dashed. There is no hope to cling to. And so, this hope that you've been told to put your faith in, your trust in, it's all a lie. So, that leads you to do one thing. You resent this hope. Because that that fact that uh, that you put your hope into is just a hoax. It's proved you, in the end, to be nothing but a pathetic fool. That's what Paul says in verse 19. He says, if we have, put, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, meaning that if in this life we put all of our hope of joy and satisfaction and salvation and we put it only in Christ and not anything else that this world can offer us, and Christ was actually not raised from the dead, he says, and then we are all of men most to be pitied. As Christians, we have acted and we have operated on the assumption that there is a life to come, that Christ bore our judgment. There is a place for us that He has gone and prepared for us in heaven, and we have all made choices then in light of this. 
We've not given ourselves over to our lusts. We've not trampled over others to get to the top. We've been contented without things that, that we thought were only earthly and ultimately worthless and passing away. Those are all choices that we have made in light of our hope. But if Christ is still in the grave, then the sad truth is that we have been scammed. And we have been scammed out of the only joys, however shallow they may, they may be, that we were to ever know. Isn't that what people already think about Christians? You're such a fool. You should be living it up. And we're saying, no. No, there's a life to come. You were wrong, apparently. That is if Christ has not been raised. You should have been living like the Epicureans who said, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. They were right all along. See, the superior joy of knowing the best was still to come, the joy of that hope has sustained Christians of every era through persecution through suffering, through affliction, through sorrow, through the, through the threat of death and even death itself. But friends, if Christ is still in the grave, that hope is gone. And finding out that joy is false. Where does that leave you? It's, it's not real. It never was. What do you have to go back to? If you were to find out right now that this hope is false... What are you going to do with your life? right? Because as a Christian, you've already come to realize what is true. That the passing pleasures of sin hold nothing of value. They've been unmasked for what they are. They offer you nothing of substance. It's like saying that you're going to forsake all food except for candy. It's just, it's going to rot your teeth and your gut and you're going to be miserable. Pleasure is fleeting. We know this to be true. The world knows it to be true, but they just won't admit it. All your possessions, all the wealth that you have amassed in your retirement fund and so forth, guess what? That's all going to somebody else. You're not taking it with you. And you have no guarantee what's going to happen with that wealth that you've stored up. You might give it to... It might end up in the hands of someone who just wastes it all away doing what the Epicureans do. You were so good and diligent to save it and they're just wasting it all away. You have no control over that. All your accomplishments, all those rewards on your wall, all the promotions that you have gotten in your company, one generation away, no one's going to know you even existed. you realize that? You might reside in somebody's family tree somewhere. That's about the most you get a couple generations from now. That's true of 99.9% of everyone who's ever been born. Does that sound hopeless? It is if that is your hope. If there is no life to come. But if there is no life to come because there is no resurrection of the dead, then you might as well go for that because that's all the joy you're going to have. You left all these vain pursuits behind to follow Christ. You put all your hope of joy and fulfillment today and forever in Him 
So where are you going to go if Christ is not raised? You are in no man's land. Right? You, you no longer want what you left behind, and what you're looking forward to doesn't even exist. So this will become the first church of the Epicureans. That's what we will become. Let's teach one another how to eat and drink and be merry and die. What? The sooner the better. Let's just get it over with. But Christ has been raised. Your hope does not need to be resented. You haven't been shown to be the fool. You have believed in what the world says is foolish, but you are not the fool. This hope is real. Those who have hope will never be disappointed even in the face of suffering, real, true suffering. When you have hope, nobody can rob you of your joy in Christ because nothing can ever separate you from Him. And all things are yours, for you are in Christ, and Christ is in God. With hope you can be sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing. You can have nothing, and yet possess everything. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. If you have hope, you are rich. You can pass the riches of this hope in Christ on to others through the gospel. The gospel that says that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Real hope is rooted in a death-conquering Savior. And that message, that hope, can pierce the sinful darkness of people who are trapped under the curse of sin and replace their stony, unbelieving, sarcastic, skeptical hearts with new ones that will have a capacity for joy that they never knew existed. One of the greatest architectural discoveries throughout all time has been the arch. Men have been building bridges and buildings with arches as far back as time goes earliest known example of an arch was constructed around 5800 B.C. in what is today Pakistan. Roman engineers built some impressive ones throughout all of Europe during their reign between 500 and 1400 A.D. Many of those things still stand today. The strength of the arch comes from its ability to, to spread out the load evenly to each of its vertical supports. The load on top is spread between both sides. What's the most well-known part of the arch? You know what I'm talking about. The keystone. The keystone is the key to the arch. It's the last stone that's put in place that caps off the arch. It locks all the other stones into place, allowing the arch to be self-supporting and then to bear the load that is put upon it. You remove that keystone. That one stone. And the arch collapses. Because everything that it holds together falls. Here's what famous 19th century evangelist Dwight Moody said. He said, Quote, the resurrection is the keystone of the arch on which our faith is supported. If Christ has not risen, 
we must impeach all those witnesses for lying. If Christ has not risen, we have no proof that the crucifixion of Jesus differed from that of the other two thieves who suffered with him. If Christ has not risen, it is impossible to believe his atoning death was accepted. If, if the dead are not raised, then neither is Christ. Your faith and your hope are futile. But the dead are raised because Christ was raised. And he appeared to many alive from the dead. Therefore, don't reject the gospel. Receive it. Don't renounce your faith. Strengthen it. Don't remove the foundation. Stand firm on it. Don't resign the benefits of Christ's death. Rejoice over them. Don't regret the dead, but anticipate a glorious reunion. And don't resent your hope. Heavenly Father, what a glorious truth. It's based in what you have done. You are God, and you raised Christ from the dead. And you will raise every other person who has ever existed, whether they be lost in the ocean, burnt and spread out over the land, or buried somewhere deep, and and no longer can even be found by man. You will bring them back. Every person will stand one day before you. They will bow their knee. They will confess with their mouths that you are Lord. But some will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. Oh God, if there are any here destined for that, in your kindness and mercy, please draw them to yourself. Please show them that this is real, what we're talking about. This is not rainbows and unicorns. And that they can put their hope in a resurrected Savior who conquered death and who paid for their sin. And for those who are going to be raised to a resurrection of life, oh God, may we continue to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. May we continue to seek the representatives of you, of this Savior who is alive from the dead by how we live, how we treat our neighbor how we choose truth over lies and how we choose contentment over stealing many other things God. we each know how we need to live and so by your grace may we choose to do so so that Christ will be exalted in our lives and we ask this